Hutch into the 5. Left hash marks 10, 15. Hits a hole. Hard. He's to the 25, 30. Breaks into the clear. Keyshawn Nixon is off to the races. It's Secretariat at the Belmont. Down the sprints they come. No one will catch him. It is a touchdown. And here's the snap. Stafford, tight pocket. Hit as he throws left side. Yes. Intercepted. Yes. Right sidelines. Douglas to the house. High stepping. Touchdown. Green Bay in a third quarter. Dagger. This is the Quick Slants Podcast. What is up, Packers fans? Welcome back to the Quick Slants Podcast at Game on Wisconsin. I'm your host, Jason Perrone. You can find me on Twitter slash X at Jason Perrone. Give me a follow if you aren't already. It's been a couple weeks, so a lot to get to. No Packers football this past Sunday, so this is going to be one of those good old-fashioned kind of state of the Packers discussions, and I've got some notes here on how I feel about the Thursday night game against the Lions. I want to talk a little bit about the Saints games. I was there. I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys last week. And just the state of the Packers as they have a little bit of rest here and and regroup this week, get ready for a Monday night showdown against the Raiders in Las Vegas, uh, Green Bay's first trip to face the Raiders since they moved to Las Vegas and at Allegiant Stadium, where I will also be in attendance Uh, at least that's the plan as it currently stands right now next week so for starters uh just want to you know the Lions game has been dissected and talked about obviously it wasn't a good outcome for the Packers they got pushed all over the place uh bullied all those things all right and and I just want to preface this too by saying that I don't typically lace my show with a lot of language I don't and tend to lace this show with a lot of language, but you know, I sometimes get in my bag about certain topics. And so I don't know, there might be some words that come out. Um, so just a fair warning. If there's any little ears there, uh, I'll try to try to keep it in, in check, but the lions game was, was just a really hapless look for the Packers coming off of a huge emotional win the week prior against the saints. I love the resolve that they showed at home. Jordan Love's first start at home. It was an electric introduction. Down 17 nothing. Just a gritty performance against a Saints team that was reeling that didn't have their one of their best offensive weapons in Alvin Kamara, who was suspended. Quarterback David Carr was taken out of that game. Now he was healthy enough to return and play in the butt kicking that the Saints took at the hands of the Buccaneers. Uh, yesterday so glad that Derek Carr is is back and okay and is playing doesn't look like he's playing very well but he's back but the Packers coming off of the high there had a chance on a short week to make a statement and go out and try to win a home game against a divisional opponent that they haven't beaten in a long time Dan Campbell's Lions lad the last time the Packers beat the Lions was the home opener in 2021 over two years ago on Monday Night Football at Lambeau Field. And ever since then, the Lions have now won four straight games against the Packers. And they are firmly in first place at 3-1, and and they hold the tiebreaker right now over Green Bay as far as the division goes. So injuries obviously stacked up for the Packers. They had some guys that were not able to play. Jair Alexander didn't play in that game. No David Bakhtiari, no Elton Jenkins. So you knew it was going to be some tough sledding. Now, they did activate Aaron Jones. They did activate Christian Watson. When we got that news pregame, I think we were encouraged that the Packers would be able to compete 
with the Lions because they're getting two of their top offensive weapons back. Now, we know Rasheed Walker's at left tackle. Royce Newman is at left guard. That's not your ideal scenario, but Walker held up well against the Saints, who have a pretty good front the week prior. So you felt like, okay, maybe they got a player here. If he doesn't take any steps back, then we'll be okay. And Royce Newman has started a lot of games. And if he just doesn't trip over himself, the Packers have a chance. Well, Rashid Walker regressed, didn't play as well against the Lions as he did against the Saints, and Royce Newman did trip over himself and everyone else and everything else and played terrible again, and the Packers were under up against it. They weren't able to run the ball. Aaron Jones only had, I think, five touches all game, and Jordan Love was under a lot of pressure and, and didn't play well, and there was a lot of mistakes, again, a lot of young team mistakes that this Packers team made, and we're going to talk about that as well because I have my own theory on that, if you follow me long enough, you probably already know where that's going. As far as this team being prepared, going out and being prepared every single week to take the field and play football. Okay. A lot of replays, a lot of breakdowns have already taken place and they have all been fantastic. All the people that do film work and break this stuff down, love you. Probably one of my favorites is, and obviously, of course, it's personal for me too because I'm part of his organization, but Andy Herman over Packaday does a lot of film breakdown, a lot of recap. He had a great show with former Packers guard Mike Wall on Packaday this past weekend, breaking down the film from the Lions game and answering some of the questions. Hey, are these narratives about Joe Barry got to go? And the, is it the scheme? Is it the players? What is the reality of what's going on? And I think Mike Wall agreed that there's a problem with both, but the scheme is definitely not good. And Mike Wall used the S word. And I don't mean the one you're thinking of. It's soft. It's the word soft when talking about the Packers approach. He said, I would go to war with a bunch of these guys on this team, but the approach from a schematic standpoint is soft. It's not good enough against better teams. Frankly, it's not good enough overall. And the Packers have to self-scout and figure this thing out. So whose job is it to lead that charge? Well, who's the head coach? It's Matt LaFleur. It starts and stops with him. And I'm going to discuss that in greater detail in a minute. But player-wise, I mentioned it. Walker regressed. Newman was bad. John Runyon gets hurt, doesn't play well. That's three-fifths of your offensive line. So it's no wonder that you can't run the ball. It's no wonder Jordan Love's under a lot of pressure. Jordan Love's under a lot of pressure, and if the receivers run the route they're supposed to and do what they're supposed to, he still has a tough time running the offense, but he has a chance. But when you have receivers running the wrong route, stopping mid-route, giving up on the play, not understanding what the changes are that are going on or what's happening, you've got no chance to run your offense. And that's exactly what happened. The Packers had no offensive juice at all. Defensively, they were terrible. Again, they can't stop the run. They can't do the two things that are very important in football. They can't stop the run and they can't run the football. Either, both of those those things are bad. Now, listen, I, I'm just going to say this. Royce Newman is has become quite a liability for the Packers. As long as he has to play, the offense is going to be at a disadvantage there. So if Royce Newman lines up at left guard, you're automatically disadvantaged against the opposing team's defensive line. And I don't care if it's the Chicago Bears out there. You're disadvantaged because Royce Newman is not a an NFL caliber offensive lineman anymore he might have been okay a couple years ago he's not now he's regressed he's hurt he's not good I don't know he's just not a good football player and you know what he's going to be on this roster all season long 
because it's week five and the Packer, you're not going to find somebody out there on the scrap heap unless you've got a really good pulse on a good offensive guard that's on a practice squad somewhere. And I don't know too many practice squads that have guards hanging out on them. You're just not going to find anything better. Your chance to do that is in the draft and in free agency, and there's only so much you can address. I'm not, I'm not chastising Brian Gutekunst here as, as a failure that Royce Newman is still playing for this team, but you just he's going to be the left guard until Elton Jenkins can come back. So pray that Jenkins recovers sooner than later. Him not going on injured reserve is good. I think there's a chance that he'll probably not play against the Raiders, then they get the bye week, and then they play at Denver. I think he could be back for the Denver game. If he's not going to go on injured reserve, I would think his return in Denver is probably most realistic. And then, okay, things get a little bit better in theory. John Runyon hurt himself. He was in a walking boot after the game. You hope that he can help heal up a little bit and get better because he's been okay at right guard. Not great, but he's been okay. He tried to grit it out and play the end of the Lions game and and just didn't play very well. Rasheed Walker might still improve and be a dude for this team. Did, didn't have a good game against the Lions, so we'll have to see. He's got to be consistent. If you're going to be a starting tackle in the NFL, consistency is key. Zach Tom also dinged up. I mean, the Packers are banged up. They're definitely banged up. But there are still 13 more games that need to be played. They're going to be played. I don't want to hear about the injuries. I don't want to hear about all how banged up this team is. Everybody's getting banged up. Packers have bad luck. Okay, fine. So then if that's the case and this is the replacement level effort and type of players that they're going to put out there, we can't take to Twitter after the game and start griping and complaining about how the Packers are playing because they're going to suck. If this is as good as the replacement level players can be, this team is not going to be very good. You're going to have a drop off from starters to backups. That's why they're backups. And when you're talking about an all-pro left tackle in David Bakhtiari, when he's healthy, and I know he's not, he's on injured reserve right now, but when you're talking about replacing those kind of guys, Elton Jenkins, a Pro Bowl caliber left guard, you're going to have a huge drop-off from the starters to the next level, right? So then you have to set your expectations appropriately and, and accordingly. I do think that there's also ways that your coaching staff can mitigate some of that and is that happening? I think you can kind of tell how I feel about that. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit more. On the defensive side of the ball, many again calling for Joe Barry's head. He's got to go. Joe Barry got to get got to get fired. Where's where's Evero from the Broncos, who had a rough start to the game against the Bears yesterday? And and because only because they're the Chicago Bears, did the Broncos get their first win in the Sean Payton era? So I don't know how great that defense would be. With, with him, with Everell running things in Green Bay, but I digress. I'm not a huge fan of Barry, okay? And I have put some of what's going on on the field and some of the failures on defense on the players. I tweeted it out. And I think that I said, you know, that's, it's, it's like the players on the field don't matter and it's just Joe Barry's fault. And players missing tackles and not doing what they're supposed to do and Quay Walker jumping the wrong gaps and... and tackling guys way downfield is on Joe Barry as well. Maybe, but the Packers aren't going to make a change at defensive coordinator. So it's almost more of me saying, hey, listen, don't bother calling for Joe Barry's head. They're not going to fire him midseason unless everything goes into the tank. And then it's like, okay, we might as well. 
we might as well just make a statement and say, look, we're not going to we're not going to put up with this or we're not going in this direction. But again, there's a larger issue. Andy's grade edition of, of Pack-A-Day from Sunday, from his Sunday show, broke down Quay Walker's great tackle stats. And most of them came when, they, when the Detroit ball carrier receiver was in the second level. Made a bunch of tackles, but they weren't impactful. He's shooting the wrong gaps. He's not totally getting it. He's good. He's good at some, at some points, and sometimes he is good. He's there when he reads the play cleanly, and he's clean. He's one of the best players on the field. He's very athletic. He's very fast. He can do a lot of things. But he still is, is just not quite there. Then, of course, you had the terrible lead penalty on the field goal try, which gives Detroit new life, and they score a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal. Right? That's frustrating. Rashawn Gary still on a pitch count. Kings leading Nabari, getting blocked by Jared Goff. Lucas Van Ness is still young and raw. He's not totally impactful. It was just a really rough, rough day. Okay, so enough about the Lions game. You burn the tape and move on because we've talked about it enough. I was very disappointed with the vibe from the coaching staff. Speaking of vibe, there was a lot of Packers fans very frustrated at how many Packers fans sold their tickets at Lambeau Field and how many Lions fans were there. A longtime follower, Mitch McLaughlin, commented on a tweet that I put out Saturday about the rest of the Packers' home schedule and how many of those fan bases are going to take over Lambeau Field and made a good point. We only hear complaining about selling tickets to opposing fans when the Packers lose. But when they win, we love all those opposing fans that go home sad. Well, they still sold tickets to those opposing fans, right? This is a thing. I know this because I am an out-of-town ticket buyer. I don't live in Wisconsin. I don't have season tickets. But I go to a game every single year because I buy tickets to the game because I can. Because the internet exists and I have easier access to buy tickets to go watch my team play at home instead of having to pick a road game and hope that I can buy tickets off of somebody in that stadium. Opposing fans have been coming to Green Bay for the past 15 years. Right? Because they can. Before the internet and the third-party sites came about, your StubHub, SeatGeek, TickPick, you had to know someone who had tickets and buy them direct. That was a tough task as an opposing fan because a season ticket holder in Green Bay knows you're not a Green Bay Packers fan. They're not going to sell those tickets to you. If they're selling it to some anonymous highest bidder online, they don't care who you cheer for. And they don't. They don't give a crap. Who's buying those tickets? They want the money. There was no business opportunity before those sites came about to flip those valuable tickets into profit. And I'm talking like hundreds of dollars. If you've got the right matchup, you can sell a block of four tickets for one game or two games and get back everything you spent on that season's tickets. I mean, to some people, it just makes too much financial sense and they would rather do that than go to the game. You're never going to change that. You're never going to fix that mentality. It's, it's gone. It's gone. This is not 30, 40 years ago anymore. They were ticket, you know, ticket holders were true fans of the team who largely bought them with the intention of attending games before the internet came along. And as with anything in life, money rules. It's just the way it goes. Once the business opportunity arises, you start seeing new ticket holders selling their tickets and pocketing huge returns. Now, let's remember something here, okay? The wait list for the Packers season tickets is still 25 to 30 years. So it's not like 
you know, the internet has only been around for 30 years. So it's not like there's all these new season ticket holders that have just jumped the line and they're just running a business and selling tickets and they just cheated all these other Packers. No, these are Packers fans who were on the waiting list 30 and 40 years ago who have tickets now who are still deciding, hey, it's better for me to sell some of these tickets than go to the game. By the way, it's a Thursday night game. I, it's, and it's the Milwaukee package, the gold package. I understand the Lions fans still had to drive out, come out, go back to work the next day and all the stuff the Packers cha- fans cha- would have had challenges with as well. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But if the Packers win that game, no one, there's nothing. There's no blue. We don't see all these blue pictures of blue in the stands. We know that they were there because they were loud. They were loud because they had more to cheer for because their team was actually doing something worth cheering for. We've been the one who have been doing this at every single road venue for decades. We're at every single road game. We love to hear the Go Pack Go chants when we hear them on TV. We love to do it when we're in the stadiums. But when we're getting overrun by opposing fans after a bad loss, suddenly it's blasphemy. How could you sell your tickets? You should have your season tickets revoked. There's no way to filter who you're selling these things to. If you're going to give somebody the opportunity to make a buck in the world, they're going to try to make that buck. You know, this whole shame on Packers fans who sold tickets to Lions fans and revoke, like, just, you know, come on, just stop. If I, you know, it, I live in Phoenix and I have since I was nearly through high school. So from the year 2000 through 2010, I went to two home games. One of those was because a friend of mine had tickets and was able to take me. The other one, I had to find a ticket broker and get tickets through with a hookup for somebody to find the ticket broker. Since then, I've been to 10 games at Lambeau Field because I can. You've heard me say this two or three times on this show, because I can, because they can. Trust me, there are just as many of us Packers fans outside of Wisconsin as there are opposing fans that bought their tickets. We're just irritated by it because, again, those Lions fans were the loudest on Thursday night. Their team was kicking the ever-living hell out of the Packers, and we don't like it. Deal with the reality here. The problem isn't too many Lions fans in the stands. The problem is that the Lions are a better team right now, and we don't aren't used to it, and we don't like it. Home versus away in the NFL is not the huge deal that it used to be. Lambeau Field used to be a massive advantage for the Packers, but just look at just look at gambling. Teams used to get three points. They used to get a three-point advantage in the spread for being the home team. Now it's one and a half. It just doesn't matter as much. I put out another tweet last week asking Packers fans, when, when was the last time you think Lambeau Field was really any type of major advantage? I know what my answer was, and most of the answers mirrored my take. Before that 2002 playoff loss to the Dome, Atlanta Falcons, and rookie Michael Vick in the snow. That day forever changed the view of Lambeau Field. And... The NFL has evolved since then as well. It's evolved and players just don't care. They just want to get on the field. It's the same dimensions. 50 yards across, 100 yards uh, north and south. Get in the end zone. Kick the ball through the uprights. Do the thing. And that's it. It's just not this huge, it's not this huge thing any longer. 
let's not act like Thursday night was some changing of the guard and and that the the Packers faithful all of a sudden now is just selling out. They've been selling out. I'm one of the people buying the ticket, the tickets. I just happen to be a Packers fan. So that's it. Noise matters, but these are professionals. They play, a lot of them played in loud college venues too. You know, this whole issue is not going to get much traction from here because the remaining home opponents uh, don't care. I don't think we're going to see any any fan base outside of what we saw Thursday night, save for one. The remaining home opponents for this this year's schedule are, of course, you got the Vikings that are going to come to Lambeau. The Bears are going to come to Lambeau. The Rams, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, and the Chiefs. Those are the remaining games the Packers will will host, the teams that they'll host at home. There's, there's only one team among that group that, number one, has a good team, and number two, has a well-traveled fan base, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think you're going to see a huge legion of fans from the other teams, or we won't know about it because they're not good teams. The Packers should win those games, and I guess if they don't, we'll find out, but I, I don't think this is going to become a week-to-week problem. It was about getting the butt kicked, it was about the loud, vocal, you know, minority or majority of fans, I guess, well, minority, majority, whatever you want to call it, from a fan, from a team that we're not used to being good. We're not used to hearing from Lions fans. They've always been this very quiet, humble, just lovable losers in the corner. And now they're in the middle of the room and we're not. And we don't like it. Listen, when I was at the Saints game, and even when they were up 17-0 and the Packers couldn't do anything right, I didn't hear a single Saints fan say anything at all. Nothing. I'm sure there were Saints fans in the stands, but it's a, it, they're not a divisional opponent. This is not a huge, huge problem. So let's not make it into more than what it, it really is. As far as the, the fans in the stands, that's, that's my take on that. Getting back to the Packers. I am reaching ad nauseum level with my take on the bigger issues with this team. It starts and stops with Matt LaFleur. And it's my show and that's my take. So whether you agree or not, that's it. It's the take. Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst surely have their handprint on this team. So if you're one who blames them first, okay, fine. Not going to be my approach. I'm not one who wants to delve into the business dealings and the politics that Mark Murphy deals with. Is he the most optically pleasing head of an organization? No. Has he been a disaster running the Packers? Also, no. Some don't care for him. Some still loathe the lame structure he put in place when Mike McCarthy was here and Ted Thompson was GM and that they would report, both reported to Mark Murphy instead of the coach reporting to the GM, trying to avoid silos, et cetera, whatever. Brian Gutekunst in his sixth season as GM, he has six drafts to his name. Are we really saying that he's missed on more than he has not? I don't, I I just, I'm not. So, I mean, yes, some of his picks were bad. Josh Jackson, Amari Rogers, jury is still out on AJ Dillon, Josh Myers. He's also found some really good ones. He's added free agents the last GM would not have signed. I'm okay with the GM right now. Matt LaFleur, I don't pretend to know a ton of schematic football. Never have been. You know me. I don't do the X's and O's thing. I can't break down a play, draw on the screen, make it make sense. That's for your film gurus, Andy Herman, Ben Fennell, Dusty Evely, just to name a few, Justice Mosqueda, 
you know, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I'm just throwing some of the names out there of, of those that know the X's and O's of the game. But I have watched a ton of football. I know what good football is. I know what bad football is. I know what a good team looks like. I know what a bad team looks like. I just do. I've got eyeballs. I know what these things look like. I also have what I think is a pretty good understanding of just humans in general. When Matt LaFleur speaks to the media and we see him on the sideline, it all communicates to us. Body language, eye contact, voice, demeanor, all that stuff. And I get the whole media PR persona, coach speak. Hey, he's not going to say X to the media. So of course he says Y instead. I, I understand that. But you can't hide the entirety of who you are. You just can't, unless you're Bill Belichick. And the last I checked, Matt LaFleur is no Bill Belichick. What I see in Matt LaFleur is a guy who's a bright offensive mind. He's a genuinely good person. If I ran into him at Menards and I didn't know a thing about him, I'd likely walk away from that conversation thinking, hey, what a nice guy. He cares deeply about his job. I believe that. He cares deeply about the Packers. He cares about winning. I'll go ahead and project outside of football and say, I think he seems like a really good family man too. A good guy. I feel very confident in saying that. Never met him. I feel pretty confident that, that that's true. I'd feel safe placing a bet on that. All that said, he's the head football coach of an iconic franchise who has won a lot of games over the past three decades, have the Packers, and whose fans, us, are still in the habit of expecting the team to win. Matt LaFleur cannot stop time and make Aaron Rodgers come back and be 2011 Aaron Rodgers. He can't. He's gone. We knew that LaFleur was going to have to navigate a change in quarterback. He was going to have to navigate the team moving on from Rodgers and moving on from from the guys that were put around Aaron Rodgers to what is the current team right now, which is very young and inexperienced. In today's NFL, with the salary cap, like I said before, you cannot address all areas of the team in a single offseason. You've got very young wide receivers and tight ends. You've got injuries on the O-line we've talked about. You're hoping that fill-ins are a huge drop-off, can hold up all that stuff I mentioned before. Guys like Rasheed Walker, Royce Newman, Patrick Taylor, Isaiah McDuffie, you know, this is where we're at. The coaching has to step in and give these young players a chance to try and be effective. You don't just put Isaiah McDuffie in there and have him run the Devondre Campbell defense. You don't ask Patrick Taylor to do Aaron Jones things. Royce Newman sure as hell can't do Elton Jenkins things. I don't see a guy in Matt LaFleur who has the demeanor to be able to do that. I just don't think he's equipped to be creative enough and savvy enough to create better opportunities for these guys. And listen, maybe that's just how bad it gets when your backup is playing. So if that is indeed the case, like I said, we now need to go from, hey, I'm going to have to accept that this team is probably going to lose eight or nine games this season to they might lose 11 or 12 games this season if some of these guys don't come back and we're looking at the kind of play they put on the field last week. After Thursday, LaFleur sounded deflated, lost, pissed, confused, disappointed. He came back to Pete Darty's question. We've seen his response to that he came back and apologized the next day right and Pete said listen I don't care it's fine you know he's been a very stand-up head coach for a long time like I said before you know the good guy and and I do think he is a good coach 
I think he's a good coach. Is he a good head coach? I'm dubious. And I've said this for a long time. I did a preseason show with Mark Eckel on Pack-A-Day. We talked about our biggest concerns with the Green Bay Packers. And of course, it was very player-centric. One of mine was Matt LaFleur. I just was, look, I, you know, I don't see somebody who's grabbing a hold of the moment, the situation, the team, like I would prefer. Do I love a Dan Campbell type? Hell yes, I do. I hate that he's the Lions head coach because I love the way he coaches. But I respond to that. I respond to that kind of stuff. Some people don't like that. They're turned off by that. They like the Lafleur approach, the you know, the aw shucks demeanor, the almost like laid back Cali approach to things, staying even keel, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, but Lafleur got candid. He got candid and and was very frustrated. And it's almost like he's saying, I'm as frustrated as you are. We'll have to figure out what went wrong. I mean, that to me, that's kind of unacceptable. Even if you're coach speaking, even if you're PR, even if you're, you're directed by your media people to say that, that is garbage. You're the head coach. You should already know what's going wrong. You don't need to look at the tape. You should already know. You're standing on the sideline. You're the one that runs the practice. You've been practicing this with this team all week long. You're going to let 60 minutes of football go by and then say you didn't know what your defensive coordinator was doing and oh my gosh, we got to go back and fix it. You got a headset. You can talk to him during the game. He reports to you. You're his boss, not the other way around. You should already know what is going on. By halftime, you should already know what the deal is. If, if you literally do not have the players to be better, then you can't say the things that LaFleur did to the media because it sends the wrong message. If that's the case, if it literally is the players are just bad, then you gotta, it's gotta be, look, we're up against it. A lot of guys banged up. The young guys are learning. We're working through it. Something like that. Don't feed crap to us as fans. We're not dumb. We're not dumb. I love our fan base. And I'm not just pandering to all of you out there. I mean it. I mean, go look at my timeline and some of the questions and tweets that I've put out there. How are we feeling about things? What do you think... Phenomenal takes. This fan base, for the most part, there are outliers, but for the most part, this fan base gets it. Most of everybody has a very rational take on this season. They're like, look, they're learning. We got to get, we got to give them grace. We got to give them time to learn and grow. That is the majority out there. And that's where I think it should be. Because that's, if you want to go to bed at night and be able to sleep at night and not toss and turn from disappointment and disgust, then you better you better realize that this team is not going 13 and 4. They just aren't. But that you know this whole we're up against it guys are banged up thing, you know, that's not been the messaging the floor is giving us. He just he sounds frustrated and as confused as anybody and I don't want to hear that from the head coach. I don't want to see that. It's his fifth year in the role. What we can also say by now because we would say this about a player is we know who Matt LaFleur is in year five. Players in year four, year five, they are what they are. Royce Newman is who he is. He is not getting better. He is not going to get better. Now listen, LaFleur is not going to turn into Campbell 
Can't expect that. You know, as much as we may want more piss and vinegar at 1265 Lombardi Avenue, it's just not Lafleur's way. Like I said before, aw shucks. You know, he's even keeled. And, and when he has to get upset, it, it's kind of one of those things where he doesn't want to get upset. When he has to get upset, he goes from zero to 10. And the team feeds off of their leader, their head coach. So if you feel like the Packers lack the oomph, that they're soft, as some like to say, look at the head coach. If you don't think they're well-schemed, prepared, the penalties, look at the head coach. You don't see or hear these things being said about Bill Belichick with these average Patriots teams. They're not running everyone over like they used to, but you don't hear people questioning Belichick's grip on the Patriots. They're losing just as many games as the Packers. But Lafleur and his staff just have this optic of not having it under control. They... They have to set the tone, and it's got to be every day, every week. LaFleur gets a lot of credit for being a good head coach because his record has been good. The first three seasons, they were in two NFC Championship games, and they made a playoffs in the third, and they were the one seed, right? And this was based on a record that he tallied up when he largely had an an all-pro caliber talent at quarterback. Receiver, Devontae Adams. Left tackle, David Bakhtiari. Pro Bowl running back, Aaron Jones, who led the league in touchdowns one season. Don't have any of that stuff anymore. Adams is gone. We're going to see him on Monday night. Rodgers is gone. He's not playing for anybody right now. He's hurt. David Bakhtiari, on injured reserve, hurt. Aaron Jones, still working his way back from a hamstring injury he suffered three weeks ago. We have to have some grace this season and say the young players are coming up. But next year and beyond, it's more likely going to return to where are the wins? Where are they? Where is the success? What are you doing to help fix these dumb mistakes that your players are making? Romeo Dobbs breaking off a route, interception to end the Lions game. Luke Musgrave running the wrong route. What are, are we working on it? Is that I don't know. Maybe they are. I'm not saying they're not. But we can only go by what we see on the field. I'm not seeing and hearing what I want to see after the Lions game. That was a terrible performance. I don't feel like the the ship is is in great command at this point from the head coach. Will things get better when Jair and Jenkins and Campbell are back and Watson's fully unleashed? Maybe. But we can only operate what we have right now, what we can see. And I, I can safely say that I just don't know that this head coach is ever going to be the guy who can instill a culture of tough football on the field. Penalties out of control. That is discipline. That is coaching. You know, Rich Passaccia is supposed to be one of the best special team coaches in the league. Quay Walker, leaping. What are we doing? The defense acting like they're trying to stop the run. I mean, they're they're playing, you know, the joke about, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Well, Some of these defenders are, are not defenders. They're just playing them, them on TV because they cannot stop the run to save their lives. Kenny Clark came out before the Bears game and said they'd have a different approach to stopping the run. And maybe he was specifically talking about that game, but it sounded like they had a change in philosophical approach. Well, that different approach is producing the same results. So cheers to you for not doing the same thing and expecting a different result, for actually trying something new. That something new still sucks. You can't stop the run and you're getting killed. You know, again, Joe Barry's got to go. Well, who hired Joe Barry? Joe Barry's not a good defensive coordinator. He wasn't when Matt LaFleur hired him. And we want 
We want to scapegoat Joe Barry and think that that's going to fix things. It isn't. It's not. Letting Joe Barry go midseason, you're going to, you're going to, players are going to change their demeanor. Some of them are going to be deflated and give up. You don't want that. You don't want that. Matt LaFleur made the decision to stick with Barry this season. Joe Barry is going to be the defensive coordinator all year long for the Packers. Unless something goes incredibly south in that locker room. And again, I can't sit here and say, well, I don't know if I have a lot of confidence in Matt LaFleur and then look you all in the eye and say, I think the locker room will be just fine. It may not. They might have a meltdown. They might start pointing fingers. They might get sour. I I don't know. It's young. The season is young. I don't know. I just don't agree with firing someone for the sake of showing that you're unhappy with the output. Again, it's going to have a bad trickle-down effect and I think it sends a bad message. The output is bad. Yes, the defense has been bad at times. And Joe Barry probably does not deserve his post anymore. But he was put there by the head coach. So if you're going to say, get rid of the defensive coordinator, we need to put Adam Senevich back in the offensive line room. Is he doing a good enough job at offensive coordinator? Are these assistants doing their job? We have to consider the competence of the guy who hired them. This is the same head coach who took the position that was vacated by Sean Menenga, special teams coordinator, and they promoted Maurice Drayton. That was Matt LaFleur. He promoted an internal special teams assistant, and those special teams turned around at the end of a great season in 2021 and were a huge part of helping this team disappointingly lose a playoff game as the one seed to the 49ers. The issue also this year is that it's a hall pass season. A lot of the comments that I'm seeing to how we feel and what are we thinking about this year's team are, well, they get a hall pass. Well, we knew this year was going to be a learning. This this year, whatever, but 2024, man, we're going to get after it. Well, the hall pass and the t- and the that the that Lafleur and the Packers get this season is kind of masking the question of, is he the right guy to lead this team back to glory at all? I say no. And I know that's very definitive, and I know that's kind of hot takey here. I don't see it. I'm not feeling Lafleur's vibe as a head coach. I'm not feeling it. I just don't think this team, I don't think he's what this team needs in order to get back to glory. And I'm talking about like, winning it all. The Packers are not quick to make changes, which can be a good thing, not knee-jerk, but in some cases, by the time you realize that you should have acted sooner, it's far too late. And the Packers have caught themselves in that situation before. And I'm not calling for LaFleur to turn into someone else. I'm not saying Matt LaFleur should be fired. I think he can he can be fine in getting his team through this season. I think it's more just setting the expectation that the way he leads... And the hold that he has on this team is what it is. And it's likely always going to be that way. And I think it's going to likely always fall short of what is needed to win big in the NFL. That's just my take. I'll gladly eat it if he's standing on the podium holding a Lombardi at any point in the future. Obviously, you eat that full uh, that plate full of crow every single time. Prove me wrong, Matt LaFleur. Prove me wrong. So right now... Packers are still resting after the Thursday night game. They will get back to work. 
I am assuming on Thursday of this week, being that it's a Monday night game, they have the extra day before they play again. They'll travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders, who are also struggling. Not a great team. I think this the Packers have an opportunity here with, with games against the Raiders, the bye, and then the Broncos, who have also struggled. They have an opportunity in front of them, albeit they're two road games, and, and road is tough for young teams. But they're winnable games. The Packers can very easily get, get back on track a bit here stack up a couple wins because they've got a really rough stretch of games in the middle of this season that they're going to face when they do start having to take on. They got the Chargers, the Chiefs coming. They got some tough games. They're going to be on the road. There's a stretch of games where some people have them losing four or five in a row. So you might as well stack up some wins now if you have any aspirations of being a above 500 team, improving on last year, being in the playoffs, It starts against the Raiders. Get out there and play well. Now you got Devontae Adams. Will Jair Alexander be back? Will we get to see Jair versus Devontae? That would be very exciting, right? We don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's the next game on the docket. One week from today. Packers-Raiders. I, it's going to be a couple weeks before I'm back because I'm going to that game, so there won't be a Quick Slants podcast next week, but I always appreciate the interaction from everybody. The questions, the comments, the thoughts. When it's done respectfully. By the way, Twitter is what it is, right? There's still that those outliers out there who can't help themselves from clowning on or dumping on the person who put out the question for the way that it was worded for the question itself and all that other kind of stuff. Just, just chill. Just, just let's, let's have a productive conversation. Let's talk about this team. And again, the majority of Packers fans do that and I greatly appreciate them. And I want to thank everybody for riding along with this edition of the Quick Slants podcast. It was not the quickest of slants, but I had a lot to get through and it had been a couple weeks. So hope everybody's week is off to a good start. I hope the Packers are getting ready for a good week of prep as they head into their Monday night game next week. Uh, if anybody has any any ideas, thoughts, questions, anything, tweet me, hit me up. The DMs are open, all that other kind of stuff. I love the interaction. Thanks, everybody. I always appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at... Jason Perrone, you can follow Game On Wisconsin at Game On WI. All the great content and stuff that goes on over there. And of course, I'm on the Pack-A-Day podcast. I will be on the Thursday edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast this week with Mark Eckel. We'll have some fun topic to talk about because there was no actual Packers football coming up on Sunday. And so it'll be the fun that it is whenever we come up with. So thanks, everybody. Again, hope week's off to a really good start. Take care of yourself and each other. And as always, go Pack Go. Off play action, back to the throw, Prescott with time, rifles it over the middle for the hands of Cooper, intercepted, Jair Alexander to the 20, cutting left, 25-30, he's got an escort to the 35-40, hurdles a defender across the 50, and into Dallas territory.